for the most part, like if you you know if you look at his social media, if you look at the other other around it, it's like super like Real Madrid focused. Like you right. don't see as much as the personal aspect of it. You know, so I don't know. Maybe his maybe his hope was that if he said something, she'd knock it off, kind of a thing. Like in just kind of a naive sense of if I say no, they'll stop. I don't think you negotiate with crazy. Yeah, no, that's the thing, and that's why the club, if they didn't, they really should like give a class on how to negotiate or like how to how to have a conversation with a psychotic stalker. (laughs) Right, the answer is don't. (laughs) Right. Do you have do you you have someone who is uh, like asking you to send them hair to make a doll? For their closet, like don't respond to that person. <laughs> block, block, smash that block button. <laughs> that person will eventually get bored and move on to someone else, unless you respond. In which case, the person will feel that their uh, attention of you has been validated. It doesn't matter what you say to them. Come on, Marco, it's not that hard. Right. Well, and my friend made the comment. She's like, "Well, I'm kind of jealous because now she's got Marco's attention." And I'm like, "This is not the kind of attention you want no, from you anybody, want like ever." <laughs> Like you, you can be jealous, but I'm not. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, the best part about that though is like right after he sent that to her, like she started posting like all of these breakup songs in her story, and it's, like <laughs> all of these like you went back to this trash because I loved you too much, like all this. Oh. And she's like, oh my word, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Check it out, I'm workshopping this joke. Um, I'm thinking about it a lot. Uh, PSG, more like P dollar sign G. Whoa. Whoa, that's really, really edgy. And and to think to replace the S with a dollar sign to imply that they just spend a lot of money is really, really cutting edge, I think. Yeah. I, it, was, it was amazing to watch. So, you know, I kind of, I, you know I'm fine with PSG, but it's funny because I'm, I'm a, you know, much more of a Madrid fan. And uh, we went to go watch the game at a bar just to, like, see the heartbreak in Parisian faces just made it so, so sweet. Uh, because you're right, like, the, the all... Literally, all they did was spend uh, like a half a billion dollars to try to win Champions League, and they get knocked out in the round of 16, which is amazing. They're not knocked well, out yet, but hopefully. <laughs> it also seems like really fucking predictable. Just because, oh yeah, they yeah like they had a good tie against Bayern, and then like okay, they beat the shit out of League on for three months, but like meh. Right, but maybe we all should, as a group should have seen this coming, considering <laughs> like. The fact that it actually is harder than this to just build a, a really good team. Well, uh, I mean, even even City spent all their you know all their money and brought in Pep, and it took two years of spending a ton of money. So next year, maybe. Yeah, mm, exactly. Unless they sell Neymar to Real Madrid. <laughs> Dude, I think that's gonna happen. Honestly, once I know. This, once all the corruption comes out on fucking PSG side, they're gonna sell. I sell everyone. They'll be back to being a mediocre league on team. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm seeing. So why don't we um, introduce this segment and just get going. Um, everybody, welcome. This is uh, your LFF, your Lesbian Football for this week. I'm hosted on BalloonDeOrder.com. This is your host, Gabe Lesra. Uh, and as you can hear, uh, Evan Matier and I are joined by our very good friend, Ernesto Alvarado from Paris. Uh, 
Ernesto, welcome all the way back. Um, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. Really happy to have you. Um, so yeah, as we were mentioning, I guess in that like cold open bit, um, we there's a lot, a lot to talk about um, that's going down. I wanted to start as you mentioned. Real Madrid played uh, uh, PSG in the Champions League in the Bernabeu, winning three to one. Uh, pretty commanding advantage going back to Paris for for Madrid. The game didn't really go the way kind of a lot of people were predicting, but. You know, it was a big win for Madrid, and um, after the match, there were a lot of questions that were being asked both about the team, but also, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, um, our favorite guy, um, Nasser Al-Khalafi, had a lot to say about the referees, Ernesto, uh, noting, and I, I actually do quote, something must be done. What, what do you think he was trying to say by something must be done? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if PSG received some favorable calls at Parc de France with that type of uh, with that type of rhetoric. Um, you know, I, to be honest with you, I don't really see. I didn't really see that the you know maybe just because I'm more of a Madrid fan, but generally speaking, I didn't really see think the ref did a bad job. Uh, I mean, the PK you know may have been soft contact, but there was still contact there. And I mean, look, like at the end of the day, PSG, you know, Real Madrid. They have, you know, a plethora of experience with respect to how to deal with these champion Champions League legs, right? So, I think it was a non, you know, I think it was a really non issue. I think it's PSG really trying to reach for, for whatever they can to make up an excuse. And yeah, like that type of rhetoric really won't help this guy when he's currently under investigation for bribery. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not like it's like totally normal <laughs> thing for like someone that powerful and rich to. Uh, suggest that something must be done about the refereeing. I, I, I mean, like, when I first heard it, everyone was like, oh, he's just being salty and whiny. And I was like, you know, this is a man who, like, probably could have people murdered and really right. get away with it. So, like, I was thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, this is fucking some godfather shit. He's totally not saying he's going to, like, bury them in the concrete of a World Cup stadium if they don't, you know, give better calls. That's 100% not what he's saying. Yeah, he's definitely not uh, hoping that someone, like, presents him the head of, UEFA refereeing or like <laughs> I was saying like um, that scene from the Godfather where like uh, the, the like the head of UEFA refereeing like wakes up in his bed and he's like what is this sticky substance and instead of blood it's like grease from all these cables and like like a, a slow-mo video cameras in the bed next to him it's like oh shit <laughs> uh, <laughs> replay is coming bitch um, <laughs> uh, so let's just get into this shit though because um, over the la since we last talked to you, Ernesto, when you were in D.C., which was absolutely awesome, we've had a lot of interesting things kind of break in both the FIFA trial um, and in kind of the broader uh, investigation into Olympic doping. I, I think we should probably just start with FIFA because that's what people know and then kind of transition into uh, the broader corruption investigation into all of these international sports, which is really amazing. Um, so in the, in the FIFA trial, Ernesto it looks like there has been a real big breakthrough. Yeah. So uh, the jury, in the, the, when, when last we met, we discussed uh, the FIFA trials, and, and these are the trials that uh, occurred with respect to three former FIFA executives that were alleged to have bribed or accepted bribes um, in connection to uh, television deals uh, in, with respect to, you know, 
uh, of marketing of the World Cup. And so uh, the jury uh, in the federal court in Brooklyn convicted two of the three individuals, uh, Juan Angel Naput of Paraguay, and he was the former top, the, the former head of South Amer- of of, uh, of Combol in South America. And he was accused of accepting $10.5 million in bribes uh, since 2010. So he was convicted. Uh, the other person that was convicted was Jose Maria Marin, who was the former top uh, soccer official in Brazil, who was accused of accepting uh, around $6.5 million uh, in bribery. And so Marine, Mr. Marine, the, the, the person from the individual from Brazil, was found guilty on six counts of racketeering, cons- uh, racketeering conspiracy, wire fraud, and money laundering conspiracy. Uh, he was not found guilty on one count of money laundering. Uh, and Mr. Napout was found guilty on three counts of racketeering conspiracy and wire fraud conspiracy. Uh, so if you remember what we had mentioned uh, when we were discussing these trials earlier, is that the wire, the, the wire, fraud, uh, the wire fraud charge is the easiest uh, and the money-making uh, charge that that the U.S. authorities charge uh, individuals with respect to, to corruption, and it's simply because it's such an easy thing to prove. I mean, it's really right. uh, something that's super easy to prove and super easy to explain and to have the jury understand, which was a really big concern for prosecutors because at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these individual, uh, a lot of z- these individuals in the jury box really weren't familiar with with how soccer worked with how fifa worked with what the big deal was with respect to these these television deals and there was a lot of what what the prosecutors did is they really tried to make a lot of connections to u.s sports so the mets the yankees the giants uh things that you know they they americanized a lot of these fifa things and so now um what the jury did that was pretty unusual was that they delivered a partial verdict and so they, you know, uh, basically said that these two individuals were guilty for sure, you know, on these counts. Each count, by the way, uh, carries up to 20 years in prison. So that 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 is a uh, that will be fun for them. Uh, so the the jury, what, what what was weird about the unusual the, the partial verdict is that they told the judge that the group was not able to reach a unanimous decision regarding the counts of racketeering conspiracy against. Manuel Burga, and Manuel Burga was the former top soccer guy at Peru, in Peru. And if you remember, he was also the charming young, the charming man that did the throat slashing uh, gesture to the to the star witness of the prosecutors in this case. That what really gets me about that, Ernesto, is it's fucking that. I mean, it's so incredibly ganged up and so mobbed up. But he's the only one that didn't get charged, and it feels like. Uh, maybe I mean, like obviously the, he didn't get off though, right? So just just to be clear, like his trial is still ongoing. So actually, he is he he, he was uh, acquitted. So Mr. Borga was charged with racketeering conspiracy, and he was accused of having plotted to collect four point four million dollars in bribes. Uh, prosecutors acknowledged that he had not collected the money uh, that he solicited, unlike the other two officials. So as I think we discussed this before, is that he right. was in a more. Uh, a much more of a gray area. And so uh, two things that are really funny just to, to bounce off what you had mentioned is basically what happened was that the jury said, you know, we haven't decided on this guy, Mr. Borga. The judge ordered them to come back the following week to deliberate and to reach their decision. Ultimately, the the, the, the jury was not able to reach a unanimous decision and Mr. Borja was acquitted, 
what was funny is that, uh, well, I guess maybe brilliant if you if you're a defense attorney, was that the the defense attorney's arguments were two. It was the first uh, argument was that you know, despite him plotting to collect 4.4 million, he never did, and he never was able to. The second point is the why. Why was he never able to collect uh, or solicit this 4.4 million dollars in bribes? And it was because Mr. Porga at the time had been under investigation for money laundering in Peru. <laughs> so he deferred collecting the bribe money that he owed, saying in emails that he was mindful of investigators that were watching him. And so basically because he was under investigation for money laundering in Peru, that inhibited his ability to collect these bribes that he was sort of in, uh, you know, in line to collect, <laughs> which is extremely regular normal situation that normal people get involved with all the time what what i really i mean this is all just 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 disgusting but the it's amazing that uh so he may very well end up being convicted in peru for his money laundering stuff i mean and this is all in relation to uh the media rights to the different uh international tournaments held in uh the american continents right so the copa america the the libertadores all that stuff Exactly correct, and and that's and and that actually has been a new approach that the prosecutors have been aiming towards is with those with those uh, television rights, it becomes much clearer where the quid pro quo is in the corruption, right? Right. Uh, and it, it it also incorporates um, these companies, right? I mean, these companies paying bribes and, and allegedly paying bribes now becomes an issue of it's not just taking down the top soccer officials, but you see, as we've discussed on multiple occasions, how. <laughs> but is now bleeding into other areas of corruption where prosecutors are able to not look into. And so, well, the funniest part about uh, Mr. Borga's uh, acquittal is uh, as he was leaving the courtroom, they obviously asked him if he had any statements or anything. He, uh, he departed he departed the Brooklyn court by saying, God bless America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, that... You could, I mean, when this movie comes out, whoever is playing that character is just going to get the role of a lifetime because it's just too over the top to even figure out. Like, <laughs> how do you how do you play someone so comically evil? <laughs> I mean, hey, credit to credit to his lawyer, man. That's yeah, no, lawyer. hell yeah, hell yeah, and his lawyer is the yeah. real hero here. Let's also say, um, in in you know, not exactly related to this particular batch of FIFA corruption, we've also had some. Uh, uh, interesting uh, stuff leak out about the Qatari uh, World Cup bid. I mean, obviously, this thing has been so unbelievably cashed in corruption since the very beginning. But at this point, uh, we're seeing you know, a, a, a entirely new set of different types of bribes. So, what, what what's going on in, in with respect to Qatar and 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 Mr. Burasco? Right. And so. Um... These allegations came out in a new book that that just came out, I, I believe, on Wednesday, and it was uh, authored by Miss Bonita uh, Medisades, who was a whistleblower that was involved with the failed Australia bid for the World Cup. And essentially, she has a lot of allegations in this book. It, it seems to be a very, very interesting book and one of the more uh, better written ones on the subject. And uh, the big allegation that came out earlier this month is that uh, the state TV, the state TV company Al Jazeera, who also owns Being Sports, 
uh, agreed to a secret $100 million deal with FIFA with respect to voting, sort of, you know, coercing the voting uh, in favor of Qatar, right? And so, uh, what 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 the what the whistleblower is indicating is that the first thing she mentions is that Steph, that Seth Blatter that he knew the U.S. would lose a bit to Qatar, and he was not happy. About it. He really wanted the World Cup to end up in the United States. Uh, when he realized that the votes were all swaying to Qatar, he was very upset. He ended up uh, actually calling Barack Obama prior to the announcement of Qatar winning the World Cup to let him know that. The U.S. would not be winning the bid, which is interesting to me because, you know, it's a bit it's a uh, an extreme move no, to, to call a sitting president to let him know that that the, 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 the bid would not be going to the country. But uh, what's what, what else is very interesting and kind of puts a little twist to this whole thing is that uh, according to the book, Seth Blatter tried to rescind the hosting rights uh, no. of Qatar. So he tried to find ways to take the the the, the hosting rights away from Qatar uh, until and so you you kind of have hope for Seth Blatter at this point. Like, wow, that's very noble of him. Until uh, the Emir of Qatar uh, negotiated with Mr. Blatter and promised uh, and ensured that Mohammed um, bin Hammam, which is he, one of the more corrupt individuals in this whole FIFA story, would not run against. Mr. Blatter for re-election and in his re-election campaign. So basically, Qatar to take the Qatar bit away in exchange for Qatar's Qatar basically saying that Bin Hammam would not run against him in his re-election bid. That is so. This is so cool. I mean, Evan and I actually met, like spent a little bit of time talking about this on a, a couple of shows ago, but I don't think it was as clear to us that there was that level of quid pro quo with um, uh, Bin Haman dropping out, like, directly related to Blatter's attempts to remove the World Cup from, from Qatar, which is really, a, really just horrifying. And, and what was cool, I mean, in the book, the quote from Blatter is this amazing quote about how, yeah, like, um, you know, everyone is saying that uh, uh, people paid off Bin Haman to not run against me, that, that we paid him off, but... No, in reality, I called up the emir of Qatar, the man could ha- who could have him executed if he ever came home, and said, hey, like, uh, what's going on? Why is this guy uh, running against me? And, yeah, he called and told him to drop out. So that's what actually happened. It wasn't any of this other stuff. And it's like, dude, you, you understand that that itself is also extremely corrupt, right? Like, it's all, it was, it's so funny to think that, like, Seth Blatter is like, yeah, no, like, I, it was fine. Like, I just called, the, like, the, the man who could have his entire family murdered and told him to tell him to drop out. It wasn't any other thing. And it's funny that that's just the way it was such a, you know, it was such a, it was such a, a standard for them to operate in this manner that Seth Blatter really didn't have a problem with admitting that and saying, yeah, you know, I made calls and put political pressure on certain people. And that's just how things, things run in FIFA, which is. Absolutely ridiculous. And so, um, you know, the second the, the book is very interesting. The second the second big uh, allegation that the book makes is that uh, it's with respect to Mr. Blatter and Al Jazeera. Right. And so in the months before the 2010 vote, um, rightfully so, FIFA had several concerns about Qatar <laughs> with the World Cup bid. Right. A, a country where the summers are over 100 120 degrees with no uh, soccer infrastructure and uh, that prohibits alcohol, uh, you know, prohibits alcohol. 
Um, one of the bigger concerns for them is the concern of low revenue from a guitar win, right? I mean, it, it's very feasible that people that would normally go to a World Cup may not want to go to Qatar for various reasons. Uh, and so in order to bolster uh, and to, I guess, alleviate some of the executives' concerns at FIFA, Al Jazeera allegedly entered into sort of an agreement with Mr. Blatter where um, they agreed to pay a million dollars to, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, a hundred million dollars to, uh, to FIFA if the country was successful in its, in its vote. And so the deal was actually brokered with uh, our favorite guy, Jerome uh, Valchik. Val- Valchik? Friend, friend of the show, Jerome Valk, or the however you <laughs> pronounce that. Exactly. And so, yeah, and so basically uh, the negotiations commenced in October 2010 uh, for a bonus payment of $100 million of FIFA uh, from Al Jazeera, if Qatar won, uh, and basically that's you know that's pretty much what what uh, what basically happened. I mean, essentially the the real shitty part here is that Mr. Volk uh, allegedly received five percent uh, for the negotiation of the deal of the money that was given to FIFA. And so, uh, what's interesting in in this in this aspect is sort of you know on top of the political pressure that you had from multiple countries and multiple you know high-ranking officials in each of these countries you also have again this sort of involvement of these telecommunication uh companies right that uh have the ability to sort of you know box up the way that fifa presents its world cups and the rise of al jazeera and and the rise of of being sports has been incredible, right? I mean, it's 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 become a major major player and probably the major player in in soccer and in, in international soccer for sure. Um, and so, you know, the ability to put pressure on FIFA to sway World Cup votes, uh, completely external of, of voting, is super super interesting. And and um, and you know, is we can you know, uh, it's it's something that we've seen over and over again with this Qatari. Right. And to be honest with you, I don't know if it'll go away with uh, the upcoming votes for the next World Cups, right? Because the next round of World Cup voting is going to be coming up pretty soon. So uh, FIFA has a lot of work to to figure out how to become more transparent and how to dissuade uh, this type of of corruption. Evan, I, uh, I think you were wanting to jump in. I was not. Oh, I saw your like little Skype thing light up. But okay, so this is what I wanted to um to get at though. So let's let's ima- I mean like let's imagine because one of the things that we talk a lot about right is how to how to move this process forward and what the the, the future looks like for FIFA, what the future looks like for international organizations, and and the 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 way that these media companies companies can sort of leverage. Uh, their vast financial resources, and especially media companies that are literally owned and backed by the sovereign wealth of a of a government, which is insane still a little bit. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you followed this at all or not. So in the United States, we actually had recently an election for the presidency of our federation, and uh, you know, Evan and I have been trying to cover that as best we could. And part of the part of the big you know question that it came down to was the relationship between uh, MLS, USSF, and the media marketing arm of the organization. So 
Well, I mean, how do you project going forward the power of like these media organizations and like what can we do to maybe counteract that? Because what I'm looking at is I totally agree with you because just because we're having these investigations, just because we're seeing these corruption allegations, none of like there's been very little change. These organizations are still wielding an absolutely immense amount of power. Absolutely. I mean, it's for for federations and for uh, for the world, for, for, for FIFA and for just sports federations in general, one of the most lucrative relationships that they must maintain is, a, is, is the relationship with these media outlets, right? And it's something that fans don't really sort of think are, are, are a big deal where, where those uh, sports are being broadcast. But in reality, it's, it's extremely, extremely lucrative and extremely important for the federations to be locked in with these media with these media companies that are willing to pay millions and millions of dollars in order to show in order to show their games and so i was i i i uh maintained sort of an ear to the street with respect to the to the u.s federation of votes and i did see that one of the candidates who was actually ironically enough the the favorite i forgot uh her name but she was the favorite going into the voting uh, into the voting and, and eventually did did lose out. Had very strong connections to uh, to the to the to the media right. conglomerates uh, connected to U.S. soccer, and it's not surprising to me, honestly. I, I don't think that's a surprise. I think that internally, what what FIFA needs to do and what these sports organizations need to do is really just from the ground up need to build new uh, new directives new policies and and, in, and to implement them right and it's and the problem is is that in order to do these things you have to clean house right yeah. I just don't think that FIFA and that some of these other organizations are serious about that right we always in, in anti-corruption we talk about this concept of tone at the top right and you have like infantino for example at FIFA talking a big game but you know in in reality, that big game means that you might have to let go of some of your generals, right? And so that's that's where that's where that needs to happen. With respect to the external forces, um, you know, these media these media uh, conglomerates and these media companies like Al Jazeera are no different than any other external force right. willing to sort of benefit from these major major sport sporting events. And I think that um, you know, and you know what, what I what I think will happen, to be honest with you, is that these uh, investigations into global corruption in sports will bleed out into investigations into these into these into these other companies. For example, Al Jazeera um, and you know Fox and, and all these other companies that are alleged to have either paid bribes and, and, and things like that. I think that the U.S. will find that the more and more they dig into these invest these into these allegations of corruption on a global scale. Uh, in in sports, not just soccer, but in sports in general, as we'll as we'll discuss later on, I think that they'll begun they'll begin to start looking into the role that these that these uh, telecommunication companies have in pushing forward these the, 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 this corrupt activity, right? And I don't think it would be difficult for the United States to find enough contacts to rope these these uh, these media outlets into into court. So I think that would that that could be a, a really big uh, step in respects to uh, eradicating at least some of or at least marginally disrupting some of the, the the corruption that goes on. And I think what what's been interesting in the FIFA investigations is 
this uh, un- discovery of, of, of not just internal corruption amongst the people and the officials within FIFA, but the external, right? The external players that also have a really, really big hand in the way that the corruption is, the, fl- the, the way the corruption flows, right? I mean, right. Uh, I think that's... that's yeah, and, that's, and this definitely yeah. seems like a way to curb at least the influence of these companies because, you know, as corporations ultimately, and, you know, this may not quite apply to always to someone, an entity like Al Jazeera or, or BN, but generally as corporations, what you do is, is you both take the path of least resistance to get money and you, you, you focus on the ways to get the most possible money, right? And that's, that's literally what we created corporations to do. That's what they do. So if we can make it both more complicated to go this route and uh, less profitable, these corporations will stop doing this because they, they simply won't make as much money. That's one of the ways that, I mean, I'm sure Ernesto, as an FCPA attorney, you know very, very much at, are at the top of this field, but that's literally one of the, the points of doing FCPA investigations, right? Right. No, you're absolutely right. And I think ultimately <clears throat> the importance is understanding and, and we, we, you know, we've told, uh, you know, I tell clients all the time that the, that the external forces are always there, right? That that's, that's, that's sort of the reality of, of how this works. I think the unique thing about FIFA and the unique thing about the Olympics and the unique thing about sports is that we're now realizing that Whereas 10 years ago, the way that we prosecuted or the way that we looked at the FCPA and the possible enforcement of anti-corruption laws were always focused on the faceless corporations that made millions of dollars. And everyone kind of knew that they were involved in some type of sketchy activity. But at the end of the day, that's the way business was made. What we're transitioning to now, you know, we've we've entered into a generation where we're saying, you know what, that's not how we want business to be run. Uh, we are not, you know, we're not going to, to deal with anti-corruption and, and we're not going to deal with corruption. And the idea that corruption is like a faceless crime is now quickly eroding, right? right. And what's cool about uh, anti-corruption law now is that the evolution from the point where we've been before to now is that we're realizing that sports doesn't live in some sort of box or microcosm just because it's for entertainment, right? It's that ultimately FIFA cannot become a vehicle for money laundering or corruption, bribery, uh, and and simply be okay because you know every four years they put on a kick-ass tournament, right? I think that at the end of the day, we're realizing that FIFA, for all intents and purposes, as much as it tries to be something else that it's not, it, it's a corporation, right? And it's providing a service, and for a long time and for the majority of its history, it's been doing so illegally, right? right. It's been doing so with 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 a lot of over reliance on on paying for power and you know, FIFA, the officials that are at FIFA are entrusted to protect the game, right? FIFA from the, from, from, you know, U6 football up until, to up until the Premier League and the World Cup, FIFA is uh, the omnipresent force there. And essentially what we're doing now with anti-corruption law is that we're looking at FIFA and we're looking at other sports agencies and realizing that uh, they have been entrusted with you know, taking care of the game and corruption and bribery directly contradicts that goal and that something should be done there. And so um, ultimately what's, what's, what's fascinating to me is the fact that we're now realizing that, you know, despite these entities being, you know, primarily sports driven, 
that the sports world doesn't live in a vacuum and right. that these need to be applied for the protection of the game, right? Because ultimately, you know, the faceless crime aspect, especially in the Qatari situation, we're realizing is not true. That it's, right. that it's not, it's, it's a fallacy. And, and there's and been that, just an absolute, like, huge torrent, right, of human misery that this stuff has caused. That not, it's not like the idea that some of this stuff is a faceless crime is so belied by the fact that Qatar, like this, this, the Qatari government is not only using this World Cup as soft power to kind of whitewash their image, they're also doing so while, you know, vigorously and brutally violating uh, the very human rights of some of the people that they're using to you know, build and set up the stadiums and all this stuff that we've, we've talked about, right? But the truth is that it's not just Qatar. I mean, we focus on them a lot, but it's also, you know, the Emirates, right? Like, look at the way that, uh, you know, the, the government that runs, that, that owns Manchester City, like, it's, it's all the same. Like, if you, all you have to do is, like, put these people's names into uh, Google and, and put human rights next to them. I told people to do that on a show a couple weeks ago because, like, every single thing with these people that comes up, you know, next to their name is X person, you know, embroiled in human rights abuse scandal or whatever. And, like... That is just because FIFA is an entity for putting on something that the world is really in love with, as it should be, right? It doesn't mean, Ooh. right, that, uh, uh, that they can get away with the, causing the amount of absolute, like I said, human misery that they, they've caused, not just through you know, whitewashing these kind of brutal regimes, but also through literally killing people like, and, 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 and laundering drug money. Like, we're... These people are not like it's not just the media rights we're talking about. Some of these organ like these investigations are going very deep into to a number of other criminal aspects. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you know you don't have to go far to 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 find uh, you know human rights violations or you know alleged human rights violations in Qatar with respect to the building of stadiums, right? I mean it's people are getting sent back home in boxes and. It's, it's or like not literally not allowed to leave because the government takes their passport and is paying them, you know, subsistence wages, just, you know, basically holding them like slaves. Like this is, you know, it's, it's, it, it's one of the reasons that this is such an important thing is that as we transition you know, to, I think, a, or at least we try to build a world that's a little bit more just, a little bit better for everybody, we can't just overlook stuff like this in entities that do things that we like. So speak, mm-hmm. um, and let's just transition now quickly because I wanted to get to another really just top quality uh, international sporting <laughs> organization. Let's talk about the uh, International Olympic Committee, Ernesto. Uh, as people may know who are watching the Winter Olympics, I'm doing a little bit of that, but I'm not as into them as, as some people, I guess. Uh, there is a, um, a, a team of people competing uh, under the banner of Olympic athletes from Russia, uh, which uh, pretty much defeats, in my view, a little bit defeats the purpose of doing the bans uh, against Russia for doping that Evan and I have discussed on previous shows. Uh, Ernesto, why don't you kind of fill in the blanks? What's, what's going on with the IOC and, and these investigations? Because my understanding is that we've seen a, a new uh, investigation into the IOC and the American Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, uh, that's super interesting, and I think it goes into something that I think we've discussed you know, a few times on this show is 
the idea that that FIFA is not going to be alone as the only international sporting organization uh, or governing body that will be investigated or that will that will result uh, of having that, that that will result uh, in investigations into these entities as a as a sort of uh, blowback from this from this uh, FIFA investigation. And so. Uh, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, announced that they would be issuing grand jury subpoenas. So subpoenas are uh, like requests for for information, data, uh, what have you, uh, in January as part of an investigation into global international sports corruption, which that's really interesting because it didn't limit itself to any yeah. particular, right? It's saying everything is on the table. And so uh, the investigation pretty much did name a few, which was FIFA, obviously, and the International Olympic Committee and the United States Olympic Committee, uh, as well as individuals involved in, in bids to host international sporting competitions. So again, we're looking at this concept of, of, of corruption, but in a much broader sense, outside of just FIFA, right? And so uh, some of the crimes that are, that are you know, connected to these subpoenas are racketeering, money laundering, Honest services fraud, which is very interesting, and that's one that's uh, U.S. specific. And these charges are related, and, and they these all are connected to bids for elite competitions. Some of these competitions haven't been announced, and a, a lot of the information mm. that the DOJ would normally announce has been sort of played close to chess because I'm sure that they're still sort of, you know, putting together their their, their actual case. And I think we've talked about this as well, where in white collar crime cases, particular anti 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 bribery, anti corruption, it it takes a long time, and you don't want to uh, mess up the possibility of of getting getting convictions. So it does take a bit to complete or to compile these these investigations. But the main one, the main sort of uh, uh, the the biggest case that that they have announced is that. Uh, the FBI and the IRS, who had previously since last summer been investigating a bid by Eugene, Oregon, and the U.S. track and field uh, um, <clears throat> organization for the 2021 World Cup Championships, as well as the 2019 World Cup Championships, which were awarded to Doha, Qatar. Uh, <laughs> over, over, <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, what, what triggered this sort of... Uh, what triggered this this idea? What triggered this investigation? And so, for the subpoenas, just to give some background, they're for documents uh, and records dating from 2013 up to now. So, since that time, since 2013, the U.S. has won bids for the 2028 Summer Olympics in LA, the 2021 Outdoor Track and Field World Championships, which is what we just mentioned, and um, and and Doha is the other sort of one that kind of triggered. This this investigation, which were the world champion, the track and field world championships uh, in 2019, and so wow. uh, a lot of this, and 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 just to give context and maybe some color to to the idea that this is a result of the FIFA investigations, is that um, among the the sports marketing companies that prosecutors are looking into based on the subpoenas is Halio Partners, which is a firm that lobbied global sports. Uh, officials to to basically give uh, to award high profile events to particular countries and cities, and they were ones that worked in uh, in the 2018 World Cup, uh, and and also the I believe the 2014 Winter Olympics Winter Olympics, um, and that company 
the Helio Partners, this lot, this lobbying firm or consulting firm, whatever you have, whatever whatever you want to call it, was acquired by a Maori group, which is uh, a French media company. So again, we're seeing this repeated sort of trend that this, these media companies are really playing an impact on this on this whole sports corruption thing, which is which is fascinating to me. Well, there's uh, so much money to be made. I think that's like one yeah. of my big takeaways from all of this, right? Which is that the idea that I mean, like again, there's so many. All of the incentives at the moment are, are 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 stacked to 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 engage in this stuff, and we have to figure out a way. And like these investigations are a big start. The work that you do doing investigations uh, is also really helpful. This is all the kind of work we absolutely have to do if we're going to change the incentive structure for corporations uh, to to not <laughs> not engage in this shit, to not do this. I mean, one thing that the, the, the difference, I think, in some of this stuff is that uh, this isn't exactly the, the same, Ernesto, right, as the um, scandal re- regarding the doping of all the Russian athletes, which is in itself funny uh, because, I mean, let's be clear, my, in my view, it's like I'm pretty sure every, a lot of these athletes are doping from every country. So, like, the, like and... And we call it doping, but really it's just like a lot of this is just like using pretty normal training, you know, supplements and shit. And we're going to talk later, Evan, about like the fact that the U.S. Soccer Federation is still hawking shitty supplements to people. But Mm -hmm. like uh, uh, this is, you know, this is all related. It's all about incentive structures. Right. And like if you're if you can get caught for this, if you do it so blatantly that you get caught like Russia, then you're going to go down. But. I, I worry a little bit that uh, unless we really do it right and we all like work together, uh, we're just going to not fix this problem and make it harder to track. And I, I'm just interested, like, as as we kind of wrap up here, Ernesto, do you feel like uh, anything that you're seeing on all of these trends across all of this indicates that there might be a coming change or are we really just locked into this kind of, look, it's going to be slightly better, but really all these people are still going to be power players and we're still going to see, you know, these media companies wielding huge and, you know, uh, amounts of power and, and got, that basically people can buy and sell uh, these rights basically well, at whim for personal profit. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist, so I will say yes. I think, I think to be, to, to, so for example, with this, uh, with these, with this bid, with these um, with these awards of these uh, of these track and field competitions to the U.S. and also to Doha, um, you know, we're we're talking about you know the Department of Justice uh, announcing and actively saying we're going to go after global sports corruption. Like this is this is what we're going to make our names off of right now. Is we're going to go after these sports sports corruption and we're going to clean up as much of it as we can. And in addition, so for example, with this, with these, with these bids, you also have France, right? The National Finance Prosecutor's Office has also been investigating the track and field governance governance body for its choices of Eugene and Doha for these for these track and field games, right? And so you're beginning to see countries say, "Well, wait a minute, you know, this isn't again these sports events aren't living in a microcosm, um, and they should be investigated in the same way that that any other organization with alleged corrupt ties." or corrupt activities uh, is investigated. And I think one of the most interesting questions when we analyze this is, is why, right? Why do we care 
uh, I, had a, I had a law school professor uh, that taught sports law that, that, you know, I wrote my paper on FIFA and corruption and she, you know, repeatedly was asking me, why, why does it matter? Like, why, you know, the U.S. does not care about soccer, right? They don't care. And it was funny because it was a question that both irritated me and also made me sort of think, which is, I guess, what law school is all about generally. Uh, and it's funny because, you know what, the, it, it, it is a very valid question as to why countries should waste or in, in some eyes uh, shift their assets, right? They're, they're limited, you know, uh, they're limited uh, legal assets into sports. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you talk about I mean, the, the, the financial impact that these uh, organizations and that these uh, events have on countries were something that I'm sure their founders never assumed would, 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 uh, would reach the levels that it's reached, right? And right. so we're talking billions, billions of dollars uh, and a billion dollar economic impact for the benefit or the harm of countries, right? And if you have that type of impact, no matter whether it's soccer, track and field, football, whatever it is, it's going to attract corruption. And that corruption, the bigger the economic impact of these events are, the bigger the corruption, uh, the corruption, uh, 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 the corruption sort of bar threshold will be. And so that's, you know, one thing, one reason why these organizations are now being put under scrutiny. The second is ultimately... Uh, that these that because these entities like FIFA and the Olympic committees, because they don't live in a microcosm, right? They don't live in this 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 vacuum. That those that, that corrupt activity is inherently connected to other crimes, right? To other financial crimes that will involve high-ranking public officials, that will involve other companies and corporations, and that will involve um, you know other aspects that are non-financial. For example, human rights. Right. And so these things are things that all, you know, regulatory agencies and authorities in the, in the United States, but also across the world, um, you know, they have interest in, in doing these things. I mean, you look at something like Brazil, for example, where Brazil was the engine of South America, was one of the BRIC countries, was pegged to be one of the biggest economies in the world for you know a long time, the rising power out of South America. And between Petrobras and the, you know, S SBM and these corruption allegations, the country collapsed like in flames, right? Like presidents impeached, you know, entire, you know, swaths of government officials removed, senators, you know, and 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 in no small part did FIFA and the Brazilian World Cup and the Olympics did they played a role in that, right? They played a role because they were really connected to a lot of these politicians that were the shot callers in these countries. And ditto with South Korea, right? Yeah. South Korea, you know, South Korea, um, you know, recently had recently had officials and a president impeached, right, leading to business leaders being prosecuted for corruption. And in the grand sense, you know, their, their corruption was much more financial. But the Winter Olympics had a component there, yeah. right? So the impact is really, I mean, it's 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 big big time stuff, you know. And I think that's the reason why these prosecutors are not realizing that. Well, wait a minute, you know. Uh, yeah, soccer is whatever, you know, not a big deal in the United States, but hold on, you know, the economic impact that these things have on the United States is quite big. And, uh, the people involved, right. The names that you see, the, the, you know, just a few weeks ago, we were talking about Sarkozy being involved in this kind of stuff. And it's, it's fascinating. It, right? and, it, uh, 
it's almost like U.S. prosecutors were the last one to realize that this is fucking big business, and now that they've realized it's big business, they're they're catching up to everyone else who has has known for a long time that there's a lot of money here. It's exactly right, and and the and the Americans, to their credit, you know, they were the last ones at the at the party, but they were the first ones to say, you know, wait a minute, uh, if this is big business, then why aren't we applying our financial regulatory systems to mm-hmm. these big businesses, right? And so now. You're beginning to see, uh, I mean, it's every month. I mean, Argentina recently uh, just enacted its new anti-corruption law. I mean, all these countries are now creating domestic anti-corruption laws because they don't want to deal with with, with bribery or corruption. And they don't want the United States jumping in and saying, well, wait, we got it from here. You know, we'll take care of this. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good point that, you know, we've shown that if if you're not going to, you know, regulate, then we're happy to try to do extraterritoriality and and go after it. And, you know, if you, you know, you have sovereignty concerns there. And so you end up, you know, having some incentive to self-regulate. Totally. And and the United States has said that on multiple occasions where they go, listen, if you guys have a anti-corruption mechanism or an anti-bribery law and you're applying it and you're actually serious about it, we're not going to, you know. We will we'll normally defer to your decisions, right? So, um, you know, you see that a lot in England with this, with the, with the SFO, this, uh, the, the serious fraud office, and and the uh, and the UK bribery act. You know, the United States, you know, they they sort of are kind of take if the UK takes it seriously and they do what they need to do, the US will not jump in, and and I think that other countries are kind of taking their tees off of that. So, and, um, mm-hmm. so, so with that. Um positive note Ernesto I think we should wrap it up thank you uh, so much my man for coming on uh, this is fascinating as always we um, we will have to bring you back on to talk more about this stuff because uh, obviously this shit's not going away but I gotta tell you like some of this the way that we ended today has actually got me feeling more optimistic about this world than I think I felt in um, just a tremendous amount of time actually because everything that you guys just said, it actually rings really true to me, and so it's making it, it, it's it's happy. Anyways, uh, Ernesto, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. Yeah, no problem. And uh, just to touch on that point exactly, the the what I, what I also think is interesting is you're absolutely right that that we've really sort of taken a position where um, you know we're now aware of it, right? And awareness is is the first step to really sort of identifying and resolve resolving these problems. Um, I read a really interesting article that if the readers are, are interested in, it's called. Uh, the Three Dimensions of Corruption in the Olympics by Andy Spaulding, where he discusses part of what you were saying, Gabe, which is that the, you know, the first step of identifying the type of corruption that really uh, pushes, pushes into these, these international sporting organizations can be broken down into three types of corruptions, which is one competitive, which is what you were talking about with the doping of athletes and, 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 you know, and, and, and the current Russia issue with, with with having to, you know, basically participate under a false flag because the whole system was basically just corrupt and, and working with with dopers. Uh, two is the international organization corruption, which is basically the awarding of the bids in host countries based on bribes. And the third is the one that that really enthralled FIFA, which was the host country corruption, which is corruption amongst government officials, Olympic organizations, and and corporations. And I think uh, those three sort of uh, those three sort of ideas coming together to really, you know, really provide us a roadmap as to how we can identify and also remediate or mitigate or uh, just kind of completely tear down and build back up 
the way that these international organizations do business. But uh, thank you. It was yeah. it's always a pleasure. Of course, and we'll link to that. Um, I've got that uh, post that's up on fcpablog.com. So we'll we'll link to that. Ernesto Alvarado, you are a uh, FCPA attorney at Hughes Hubbard and Reed in Paris. It's been awesome having you on as usual. Thanks so much, buddy. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah, man. Thanks, and yep. thank you so much for having me on. Uh, okay, and we're back. This is, uh, uh, you know, I'm very happy to have had Ernesto on the show. Very fascinating discussion of all the different corruption ash issues. But we've got, we got still to do our normal Let's Fix Football. And for that part of it, we are joined by uh, Jess, Jess Howen. Jess, um, welcome to the show. <laughs> How you hey. doing? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you guys? Doing well. Um, as Evan said, this is like the first show that both of us have done basically completely sober because everybody should know we're recording this uh, in the after, early afternoon or late morning, uh, depending on where you <laughs> are. Like my, my desk is like littered with beer cans and bottles from previous podcasts because <laughs> I'm disgusting. And so I'm just looking at that and then next to it, it's just like a gargantuan fishbowl of tea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're normal, not like functional alcoholics who definitely don't just like drink and talk on podcasts all the time. Don't don't go to law school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we have a lot to talk about. Um, but so Jess, you are a um, you cover the uh, uh, Colorado uh, Rapids for MLS Female. You have been doing a lot of writing. You're also a big Real Madrid fan. Um, yep. As Evan said, I was about to like make a joke about how Evan called uh, the uh, the Rapids the Avalanche in the uh, in our original outline, but I feel like let, <laughs> let him off the hook for that. I'm, I'm I'm glad that you had mercy and didn't disclose didn't, the mistake. Oh, didn't talk about it. On the it's really show at it's all. really nice that you didn't make any vicious jokes. Or... <laughs> You're a good guy. I really am. Appreciate um, that. <laughs> so let's uh, let's start with. Um, uh, this, this, some, some of this Real Madrid uh, PSG stuff. First of all, um, I wanted to get your opinion on for on that. Ma- I mean, like obviously Real Madrid beat PSG three to one to Bernabeu. We discussed it briefly with uh, with uh, Ernesto, but I'm I'm interested in your as a Real Madrid fan, your uh, how you felt about all of that uh, going down. Uh, me, yeah, or Evan. Evan's okay. not a Real Madrid fan. Oh, well, that's right. You you totally mentioned that in the Managing Madrid podcast. Um. I so I only got to watch the first half um, as it was being played. I had to watch the second half after work was over. Um, but I was having a shit fit in the middle of a meeting watching my <laughs> notifications come up with all the different scores. Um, I am I am thrilled that uh, we did so well this first leg. I'm a little nervous to see what happens in Paris. Um, because obviously, you know, the environment changes as soon as you're in, you know, a different stadium. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Um, I'm hoping that we see a lot more than 13 minutes of Asensio on the field. Um, I think he really, uh, I think he changed the game when he okay. stepped on. Um, and that's, and that's huge. Um, he definitely did. I, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping we see more of Bale. So, I mean, we yeah, were talking about all Oh, that. for sure. Didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, he really. Sense. 
Yeah, no, I think he transformed the game, and I think that he's the type of player that can, you know, take a plucky group runner up and go and get this kind of upset win at home in the first leg. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's really good for a team that's playing from from the second position in the group. They, you know, right. you know, unseated team, and and so you know that's important. Now there was another Champions League match um, where a uh, group winner played Juventus. Um, and that oh was pretty cool. That was a group match, uh, a good match too. And I, I was just going crazy at work, also um, watching, <laughs> watching, watching group winner Spurs uh, get to, get just a great away result. Oh, going oh to gosh. underdog Juve's home stadium and and pull that's right. out, manage to scramble out a two away goal draw somehow uh, <laughs> against a weaker uh, second position team. No, that was a great game, dude. That um, uh, I mean, it's fascinating how Juve has. Uh, been transformed, but I mean, Spurs are playing with a a level of confidence in and and in themselves that I don't think we've seen in a long time. I don't think ever. I mean, I think that all of the talk was about them maturing through the course of this year's Champions League, and I think this is just another mark for them having to have a you know they had the tough draws away, they beat Dortmund, they've checked all these boxes, and now to have this comeback away in Juventus is just another huge boost to their confidence that they can you know they can hang. Yeah. Right. They, I mean, they definitely can. And Kane, I mean, he's having a couple. I mean, he's. Uh, there were a lot of people who were talking about how Kane maybe had hit his ceiling and all this stuff, but he's hit another gear that has brought him to a level that I think is totally differentiated at the top of the, the world football. Like, he, maybe a few years ago, even, he wouldn't have been right off the top of your head in a, maybe a top 10 list, but now I think you can comfortably place Kane in the top 10 of the best players in the world, which is huge for Spurs. Are you, are you maybe looking for the word world-class? Are we talking about whether he is world-class? I think in the United States we say elite. Oh, yes, elite. Elite's very important. You got to know who's elite and that not is, elite. Right, and like, um, like the quarterback for your Baltimore Ravens, I think Harry Kane is probably elite. Sorry, unlike. Unlike. Because Flacco, we decided, we had a conversation about whether Flacco was elite. Everyone's now decided he's not elite. But Harry Kane, probably elite. Yeah, I think so. I think comfortably. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's basically all the, the, the Champions League shit I want to talk about. I wanted to mention two things about the Real Madrid match in particular. First of all, uh, shout out, pimp Carlo Ancelotti, looking swole, sitting there. I'm very into it. He was in the match. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pimp, come back to Real Madrid, buddy. I miss him. I miss him. Uh, glad that he could make it all the way down to Madrid from wherever the hell he's living. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't miss him from Bayern, though, that's for sure. <laughs> that's true. I was so sure. I mean, uh, and second of all, Sergio Ramos, shout out, man. He's rocking a fedora in a post-match interview. So it's cool that Sergio Ramos has adopted the style of American neckbeards. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, as we mentioned, Evan um, Nasser Al-Khalifi, um, sort of the godfather with that uh, quote about how he's going to go and kill all the referees. Right. He's going to bury them in concrete somewhere in outside Doha. And it's really scary and totally not mobster <laughs> shit. Right. I mean, it's extremely regular. I mean, I think it, it's funny because we've been, I've we've been making jokes about this for a while now, but like, I think normally like if an owner of a team's like, Oh, I'm upset with the refereeing. It would be like, all right, whatever. I don't, I don't care what you think. Who cares? Just being salty. But like this dude, like we know he has been engaged in some bad shit, and we also know that he is really connected 
to the right people to, to, to do some fucked up shit. And, like, not just, like, some stuff that would, right, like, at, at corrupt, like, not just go do corruption at UEFA <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh <laughs> to get the referees to give him favorable calls, but actually to, like, fucking threaten families and shit. <laughs> like, it's fucking Luca, Luca Brazzi, like, goes up to one of the referees, so. Um... <laughs> <laughs> also, that was not that badly a rough game. I don't think we no, really, I know. Talked, really, no, it really was, like well, I watched the whole game as a neutral and <laughs> like it really wasn't that bad. PSG's fucking whiny and they're looking for an excuse for why their eight trillion dollar team lost. Yeah. Um, so, Jess, one of the reasons that we uh, had you on is to and I previewed this on the Managing Madrid show because it is extremely um, important. <laughs> and I want everyone who is doing a crossover listen to, to, to get excited um, because let's let's talk let's 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 sing the ballad of Marco Asensio and Aura Molinero Jess um, why don't we begin why don't we let's just begin at the beginning I guess what where when did you first hear who is and when did you first hear about Aura Molinero so I first heard about her um Probably, I want to say a little bit before Thanksgiving, so early November. Um, and um, one of the, um, I was perusing Instagram, and one of the, the Asensio fan accounts was kind of going off that this girl posted this photo saying he came to see me, kind of this stuff. And I thought, well, okay, that's weird. And so I looked into it, and it turns out um, it was while he was shooting for um, Club del Deportista, um, and the stylist on set had taken a video of him, um, spinning a soccer ball on his finger, or at least attempting to, um, <laughs> from behind him. <laughs> and, um, this girl had taken a still of this video and reposted it into her story with tagging the caption on it saying he came to see me. And which of course, like blew up every single one of the Asensio fan accounts on Instagram and then proceeded to like bleed over into the Tumblr realm as well. Everybody's freaking out. Who is this Aura Molinero? Who is she? Where did she come from? You know, what's going on? Um, and so that's kind of where I first started kind of watching. Um, and then Slowly but surely, we figured out that, and by we, I mean the entire realm that actually has the time to go and, and dig through <laughs> the different Instagram accounts. No, this is this is part <laughs> of what I wanted to get into, and what is extremely funny about this. So, first of all, we're going to learn more about like the kind of psychosis of Aura Molinera, but <laughs> but right. what, but on top of that, Evan, you have to understand the world that we're operating in, which is I the, I've been trying to think Jess about this, and you you, you tell me if I'm wrong. But, like, okay. it reminds me a lot, this this world that we're diving into now, of, like, the world of online valor detectives, which is, like, people, <laughs> <laughs> people that go and, like, look at people, pictures of people in uniform, and then, like, call the army to be like, hey, like, did you really have, like, a, 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 a Corporal Johnson from this place win this medal? <laughs> And they'll be like, no. And then they'll be like, oh, well, you, you like didn't win that medal. You take that off. That's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> that, does that sound basically right? That, 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 sound, that sounds about right. Um, 
I don't know how they made all the connections that they made. Um, I know later on, I found a couple of things just using a simple reverse image search. Um, but they figured out that this chick has been stealing these photos from the 17-year-old model in London um, and posting them, posting them as if she were her. <laughs> and then using those, like... From there, she starts making all... And some of the comments were kind of subtle. Like, one of her um, captions was about, like, I would return to love you 20 times more. And, like, so she'd put little references like that in all of her stuff. It's really, in addition... it's really cool because what's, what's really awesome about this is, like, it's so subtle and so clearly prepared and thought through. For someone exactly. so, like... You know, like I don't, I don't want to call her psychotic because, like, it's not like like a psychotic. We always think about like serial killers. She's just like a, a like a pretty a person who has lost some level of touch with reality. But like, it's right. it's so well pre planned, right? Like, it's amazing that she because like if you, I think what her ultimate goal is, and I'm interested to know if you agree, Jess, is to okay. get the media to cover her as his girlfriend. You know, I, I wouldn't put it past her um, because, I mean, she obviously in, in the story, she she did get some of that coverage um, before they came out and, and revoked it like the very next day. But, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah, I think that was definitely, you know, a grab for attention because, I mean, what else would something like that be? You know, unless she is literally, um, I don't know, you know, if, sort of few stacks of a full bale of hay. Um, I totally just said that wrong. I mean, whatever. really good. <laughs> it was re- I really enjoyed that version of the idiom. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you got what I'm going for. Um. <laughs> so, I mean, what's the chance that she's just a, she's just straight up a troll, right? I mean, the internet's full of just straight trolls who will go to ridiculous lengths just to spin things up in the internet. You know, I uh, I hadn't thought of that, but you know, judging from some of the interactions that she's had, I have a friend who has been interacting with her, um, like in conversation under a different account that hasn't been blocked, because um, she's she's blocked every single Asensio fan page that she can. She's blocked all kinds of random accounts. Like she blocked my private account, and I have no idea how she even found out about my private account. It's the weirdest thing ever. Um, <laughs> like. <laughs> but whatever I still have my public one to look at stuff through but <laughs> um she I just lost my train of thought no, she, okay so I yeah. this is where I wanted to jump in because I have been thinking about this also Evan and my my vision of this is that she may be a troll but I I all of um just the way Jess has shown me these these interactions she doesn't seem to be she just seems to be someone who is a little bit, or a little bit, maybe even more than a little bit, but quite a bit disturbed, who uh, has run into this world of, uh, she didn't really get understand what she was getting herself into when she tried to like, yeah, get this, uh, get some attention and, and really kind of create this fantasy for herself that she was dating this really handsome young soccer player. And uh, what's really interesting, Jess, is that your friend has managed to get into her good graces and like have these DM conversations with her where Aura like kind of opens up. Right. And this is why she's doing it and not me, because at this point I would have been like, look, you're full of shit. Delete your account. 
because um, <laughs> I, I just don't have that much patience with with fake people. Um, but yeah, she's got her to you know through the whole thing. She forwarded the um, the original article onto her, and you know, and of course, sent me her response, all this kind of stuff. Um, but basically, got her comfortable enough with her to the point where when Marco messaged Aura and told her to ba- ba- assume, I assume what she what he told her was to knock it off. Um, judging by what, what we've seen of the conversation and what she's said about it. Um, she screenshot that and sent it to my friend. Ah, that's Wait, so hold on. Cool. Marco Sensia. Hold on. Marco Sensia messaged her. Yeah. Yes. That's, a, that's where, Holy shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is where this gets awesome. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So this all comes. So my, my friend, um, runs actually an Enzo fan account and Enzo's it on fan, fan account with another friend of hers. Um, and from that, she actually runs a an, an account for one of Marco's friends on Hell, and in the on Hell account, um, she posted like the article. She's posted like, you know, Aura has taken screenshots of Pinterest to pretend like this is her and Marco holding hands, kind yeah. of a thing. <laughs> and so she's posted it up in her story, you know, calling her out. Well, two of his friends. Um, have seen the stories because on Instagram you can pull up who has looked at your stories and who hasn't kind of a thing Um, and so two days after both of them saw stories related to Aura and actually one of them was related to this particular podcast too um, is when Marco messaged Aura with with the whole calling her pathetic and all this kind of stuff God, that's so cool yeah Wait, I, I'm sorry. We may be glossing something over. It's not with our podcast. Are you, are you, you can't be saying that. Well, there was so I posted a copy of the the tweet about coming on to record this. Oh yeah. And she and um, my friend took it into the on hell account and posted that into her story that this conversation is going to be happening at some point. And um, you're saying that one of Marco Asensio's friends saw that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then, okay, and so just to be clear, what are, we haven't even gotten to the denouement yet, Evan. So, what, what, so what happened? I'm gonna let you tell it, but what happened uh, yesterday? So yesterday, um, my friend and I had realized, you know, hey, we haven't heard anything from her recently. She hasn't really posted much, um, aside from stealing Teo Hernandez's girlfriend's story and posting it as her own. <laughs> Um, we, we haven't really heard much or seen much of her. I was like, Hey, can you like check in on her? Like, see what's going on. And so she finds this out of this uh, thousands of comments on Marco's last photo on Instagram, finds this random reality star from Colombia who's commenting and sends it to her and is like, Hey, check out this chick. What do you bet? She's just trying to comment for fame, which then <laughs> triggers aura to go look at Marco's page and all of a sudden we get this message back of he blocked me. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So so Marco has now blocked Aura from seeing his page. So So I just, okay. So I just want to be clear about what I think could be the trajectory of what happened here, Evan, because this is amazing. It's very possible (laughs) that Jess's tweet was filtered back somehow to Marco 
who saw it and blocked her, and that has stopped this particular psychosis. Think about that. Our, like th- that is <laughs> unbelievable. Well, I, I, would, I would hold off on saying stopped her just yet, because, I mean, What's today she point? did... She did post up a little thing saying, you know, the loves that you repeat are going to be errors in her stories. So, like, oh my god! I hope she just goes to like the next young Real Madrid star and just creates a new reality for herself where, <laughs> right? The She's she like was... dating Martin Odegaard next, and oh yeah, but then she'd have to like get like steal photos from people in like Norway or wherever he's playing. I I, th- I think it'd be really cool if she just literally cycles through the Real Madrid. Youth like these youth <laughs> players like Taylor Hernandez is the next one. Like, I'm dating him. Like, he even though he like has a very public girlfriend uh, and probably soon to be wife. Like no, nah, I'm I'm dating him. That's me. That's not her. <laughs> totally me. Well, I mean, she already took a story. So right, exactly. Like, that's what's... the next level. That's the next thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that that is the ballad of Marco and Aura, and obviously we are uh, taking this very facetiously because, like, the truth is that Aura is not someone that you should take seriously, and like, <laughs> she's shown herself to be, you know, uh, pre- like just generally either a uh, a very committed troll or someone who, <laughs> as you said, had a well, I don't even know what the idiom you. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty good, uh, but uh, yeah, a few uh, uh, a few few screws loose up there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think the second is probably the uh, more accurate of the options. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I, especially because it seems like she's continuing it now, which is awesome. Um, <laughs> But isn't this the type of person who ends up, like, stabbing an athlete? Like, isn't this kind of fucking terrifying? Just yeah. a little bit? A, a little bit, which is kind of what kind of caught my eye was, like, holy crap, um, does she have that potential? And truthfully, without knowing her personally, it, it's really hard to say because, I mean, it's yeah. easy to present yourself one way online and then be an entirely different being um, offline in real life. That's um, extremely it's like good point. weird Black Mirror shit kind of futuristic <laughs> cyber stalking where it's not like you're actually stalking it's that you're creating this social persona in which you are to, it gets really really weird and creepy and i hate it what what, what? If, what if there was a cyber serial killer <laughs> <laughs> oh my god okay <laughs> but yeah no dude you're you're i think evan is actually hitting the nail on the head because when i first when we first started talking about this Jess, i thought it was really funny but like and I still think it's really funny, but I also think, like, yeah, like, it, 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 there are a couple of scenarios where this is no longer funny at all, and where right. she, like, has a psychotic break and, like, tries to murder him. Like, that's, it's not, like, in, out of the realm of possibility. Right, which is unnerving, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely unnerving. Uh, I, I... I, we're going to have to keep following this, so you, you may need to pop back on uh, to talk about <laughs> <laughs> talk about more. And big, I mean, look, I, I, I kind of messed with your friend a little bit uh, by calling her like a uh, 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 Real Madrid girlfriend Valor detective. But I, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 I actually appreciate this work. It's, it's pretty awesome that she, and she seems to be like taking it with a, an all in good fun, which is, which is the whole point of this oh, anyways. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, and she's not the only one doing it because like I said, there are so many fan accounts that 
have tracked all of this, like through her pretending to be in Marrakech with the guys through all of these things, like have tracked it, have watched it. They've brought it to Instagram's attention multiple times. You know, it's, um, it's definitely more, this is just the one that I am talking to on a personal level. The rest of them, I'm just kind of watching as they go through all this, you know? Yeah. I mean, the one that your, your, your actual friend does seem to be pretty nice. The, there are people out there, the ones that are, um, who fucking followed her geotagging are a little bit aggressive. Like, right. So Evan, she like geotagged some of her photos yeah. following the Real Madrid team. Uh, and so oh, those nice. people like cross reference those geotags of where Real Madrid was. Uh, <laughs> that was good shit. I love that. I love that. And you know why I love that? Because one of my favorite like social media stories of all time was when it was during the Ukraine Russia stuff, and Russians are like, "No, we're not in Ukraine." And then a Russian soldier posted a geotagged photo like forty miles <laughs> in the Ukrainian border, like next to a fucking artillery piece. <laughs> so I'm a hundred percent there for checking Oops. on geotags. It's awesome. <laughs> So good. Oh my god. Oh my word. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I think that's a pretty pretty good place to leave the uh this particular song. But I I, I will say there is definitely gonna be a coda. Um so just <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking a lot about um some of the if you don't mind chatting with us a little bit, we have some a couple other topics to get to. Um Okay. If if I think that if you're interested, I'd love to just really quick. Um, you covered the uh, uh, the rapids, and I I would love I to hear more about um, about the rapids because that's not a team that I know particularly well. Um, right. And I'm, I'm interested in how you feel like they're doing with respect to the way that MLS has been changing, and which is one of evident my favorite topics to cover on our show because uh, MLS has seemed like, especially in the last few years, seemed to have really moved in a direction that is really exciting, at least to me as, um, as a fan of, uh, not just having MLS be a sort of like semi-serious league in the international realm, like, especially with the way Atlanta United is played, especially with the way, right. you know, Toronto is invested in, in some of these younger international players, but also in like really talented young, uh, Americans. So, what, where, how do you feel like Colorado is um, doing with the way the league is evolving? Um, I honestly, I think we're kind of behind. Um, I mean, things have changed a little bit this season. We've brought in some some more guys, but um, from you know international uh, teams, but we're still looking at guys that are in their upper twenties, lower thirties, kind of a thing, as opposed to the younger guys like Atlanta United is bringing in. Um, and it's incredibly frustrating to watch that because, um, you know, I, I really want to see these guys do well. Um, you know, that said, I am really excited to see um, how this season is going to shake out for us. You know, in 2016, uh, we ended the season, you know, the, the um, losing to the Sounders in the playoffs, um, who went out went on to win the MLS Cup that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we came in second for the support supporters shield and we were great. You know, we talked about the stadium being called the mile high fortress because we hadn't lost at home that entire season. And then we introduced 2017 and it's like the team was gone. Whoever like <laughs> somebody kidnapped the 2016 players and left them with these replicas that were, not as into it um and it and it didn't help that you know at one point Pablo Mastroeni who was the head coach for a while um referenced in one of his um um 
oh my gosh, press conference, that's the word, (laughs) (laughs) Um, that he was essentially throwing away the 2017 season in favor of the 2018 season. Um, You know, we've done pretty well. So I know that was so depressing. I about turned in my season tickets at that point because that's... That's so aggravating to hear a coach say that. Especially as a or season even... ticket holder. Um, and, exactly. I mean, like, as a journalist, it's interesting. But, like, as a season ticket holder, like I'm, a, like, I'm a fan. I don't want – that's why – I mean, look, that's why tanking in the NBA is so unpleasant for, for people that actually <laughs> like me, that actually like teams in the NBA. Right. Um, yeah, because I've just paid all of this money, and now you're telling me that you're going to throw – and it was my first season as a season ticket holder oh. as well. It's like, so you're, you've, I've paid all this money. You're now going to tell me you're throwing away this season in favor of next year. And you want me to spend my money on you again next year. What yeah. what the hell's the like, rationale for saying that at a press conference? Like, even if you're doing, <sighs> why you would know, you say it? I have no idea. Um, he didn't last too much longer. I think he you was know, gone I, within a month or two after that, but like, that'll, that'll do it. Giving up. will do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah just, just slightly. <laughs> Um, but on the, the upside, you know, our new head coach is uh, Anthony Hudson, who was the former New Zealand uh, national team head coach. We've brought in a couple of new guys. Um, we've done pretty well so far in the preseason. Um, we won nine to nothing our first game, two to nothing the second game. Um, and I'll actually finally get to see how they do Tuesday night. Uh, we face Toronto in the CONCACAF Champions hmm. League. Um, so the, the CONCACAF. Yeah, that's especially with them coming off the the MLS Cup win from mm-hmm. this last season. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we should have we should have a good team this year. That's exciting. Um, I'm I I mean Evan and I are are this is part of the reason we even began this podcast so we could work together on on getting into MLS. And I actually think that Evan, we've done a pretty damn good job for, <laughs> for, as becoming becoming fans. Now I'm not saying we've right. done a good job. Yeah of doing our podcast because this, sh- this show is like, it's pretty dumb. Like I, I like, like <laughs> I love it. It's so much fun, but like, let's be clear. Like we, this <laughs> is, we spent the first, like the last 20 minutes talking about, uh, Instagram relationships. So <laughs> I mean, like it's no, I, that's, but that's just, I'm, Let's just be clear. It's not offensive. Like I'm not trying to be offensive to you. Just, this is just our show, which I love. Uh, and, uh, but no, I think we've done a good job of understanding getting into MLS, and that's part of why this is uh, this is exciting for me to to kind of hear about all across the league because I think that especially me, I've been focused sort of on the coastal teams and maybe Toronto because of how good they've been. Um, I've, I've right. tended to uh, like not think about as much about the team sort of in the middle of the country, uh, with the lone exception being the horrible expansion potential expansion side and. Uh, Austin. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness gracious! Don't yeah, get me started. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's um, let's that's that's an awesome place to uh, transition, I think, Evan. Because let's uh, let's just bring this back to our kind of wheelhouse, Evan. Uh, Jess, USSF, they're back on their bullshit, guys. They have made a uh, website about nutrition. Yeah. Sponsored by <laughs> their diet pill company, Thorn. Oh my word! Yeah. So, so Jess, I don't know how much you know about the background of this, but we found USSF 
ads advertising literally diet supplements to youth <laughs> coaches. Yeah. Yep, 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 so yep, it's yep, like, yep. oh, is your 11-year-old winger need a few extra steps of pace? What if they lost 10 pounds? Here's a dietary sup. Here's here's a diet, you know, appetite suppressor. Yeah. It, it, oh my word. And they, these, these, so they they sent a email uh, from their Thorn, the official nutritional supplement partner to all USSF licensed coaches that included a bunch hawking for a bunch of shitty uh, pills. And what we didn't realize at the first read through was that the first one that they talk about uh, was actually an actual diet pill. And it's like, look, check it out. This is what they, how they, how they, uh, they, they advertised it. It's a proprietary blend of plant extract shown to curb late night cravings and optimize cortisol aid in weight management. Like, this is, they are literally hawking diet pills. And what was really cool about oh my word. the newest thing that they've done, right, which is uh, launched this site called, uh, 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 called Recognize to Recover. Recognize, recognize for Recover, Recognize to Recover. Recognize yeah. to Recover. Oh uh, presented by Thorn, <laughs> by the way. Let's just be clear. But it, this is my favorite thing so far that's happened, Evan, because... The website literally talks about being aware of pseudoscience. Oh my god! <laughs> they literally. So let me just read. Uh, okay, so let me literally. I'm just gonna read from um, uh, Thorne's marketing pamphlet, and then from Recognize to Recover section on pseudoscience. Okay. Um, oh my word! This proprietary blend of plant extracts is shown to curb late-night craving, optimize cortisol and DHEA levels, aid in weight management, and support restful sleep. It provides uh, curcumin phytosome, which helps maintain, uh, which is clinically proven to help maintain a healthy inflammatory response in joints, muscles, and the gastrointestinal tract. Okay, <laughs> I'm now going to quote. This is quoting from Thorne's Recognize to Recover website. Be aware of pseudoscience. Companies often use phrases such as, I swear to God, quote, clinically proven, unquote, that imply that imply that there's science behind their product. Many of these claims are not backed by actual research. Be cautious of products claiming ancient formulas, cutting edge science. Uh, a reputable company will have contact information. Is this... Unbelievable. Where's the asterisk that says, but please trust us because we promise we're not lying. <laughs> well, I mean, they're backed, they're backed by U.S. soccer. So, I mean, who, who at U.S. Oh, soccer no. would lie? I know. Oh, good. This, is, this is one of my favorite things that we've covered because of the ongoing idiocy of this uh, uh, relationship between U.S. soccer and Thorne because you, you can tell that this pseudoscience diapill company is trying so hard to pre present itself as like the reasonable entrant in the market for non-FDA oh approved, uh, unlicensed, far, like uh, uh, supplemental uh, supplements, right? Like we're reasonable. We would never like hawk you fucking sugar pills to tell you that if your kid <laughs> takes them, your wife will take you back. Like that's, we'd never <laughs> do something like that. No, we're just saying that if you take them, you you know, your striker will just be a little bit faster. <laughs> Check out this awesome new pill. Asterix may, like, you know, love to hawk methamphetamine to little kids. 
Like, <laughs> oh my word. Run around the Rondo ring while high on meth. But like, this is it's just amazing <laughs> to me. <laughs> I just, I'm just so like absolutely blown away by by the absolute utter. I I, I can't tell if it's like total incompetence, Evan, um, or like. Or just whoever, like either of you, if this is like total incompetence or just outright fucking corruption, uh, I can't tell. My hope is that it would be incompetence <laughs> and you, not corruption, because at least you can backpedal a little from that one. <laughs> you know, my worry is my worry is that because I haven't been involved in like any kind of youth sport in well a, a long time because I'm not a kid anymore but <laughs> I'm really worried that like this is what if this is just completely common in like you know pretty competitive youth anything youth football youth basketball youth soccer it's just like all these coaches are loading up their kids with every fucking supplement like they're all just driving to GNC and buying an entire wall of supplements and throwing it at their kids that's really uh, grim that's really grim yeah but it, also, probably, I think that like my that's probably happening. I think that's probably happening. I think that's probably happening. Actually, now that you said that, I think it's probably happening because I didn't. I never even considered that as a possibility. But like, yeah. maybe this is just regular. Like we've been right. joking. U.S. About, soccer like, is just U.S. soccer is just doing the same thing that every high school football team is right. probably doing. Well, and think about our nation's obsession with performance and weight and all this kind of stuff. It just kind of seems like it would be a natural trickle over into this, you know? Yeah. Ah, grim. Damn it. I thought we were going to end on a funny note, but now I'm just bummed out because it's probably true that, like, fucking, you know, high school co- – or not even high school, like, middle school coaches who, like, have a bunch of kids <laughs> who they want to go to, like, play at elite high schools are literally giving them – pills laced with caffeine and, and and like fucking amphetamines just to get them through fucking soccer games like goddamn Wait, well maybe we should you know add a little asterisk that if they're actually worth their salt they're not going to be doing stuff like that you oh, know yeah don't sue uh, us so like it's not it's not everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. this is not a blanket statement <laughs> thank you jeff don't sue Gabe, us. i think it's i think it's time for us to actually get get L, L, lff incorporated now that you mentioned that that <laughs> way they can sue lff and get nothing yeah <laughs> the, the lff l you know l, l you know the living liability company it can own my microphone and that's what it can have yeah and they can have that if they want to come at us but look i mean we're live like uh, uh, this shit. Truth is a, a, a defense against any liability for this, and we are reading your own words, douchebag. So like, if you like, and, <laughs> and like, we are also like, I'm obviously this is all jokes. I don't. I'm not. I would never say that you are hawking amphetamine-laced <laughs> diet pills to 13-year-old girls. I would never say something like that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, At least the Rondo ring is not going to kill anybody. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> Jess, um, thank you so much for coming on. I think that's basically all we have time for today. Uh, <laughs> don't sue us, Thorne. Like, it's not worth it. We don't have any money. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for coming on. We'll, we'll, we'll um, have to bring you back on because if, if, if anything like that that we've seen from Aura is true, it's very possible that the next step here could be that she sees this show. <laughs> oh my word! 
<laughs> so we'll have to follow up on, on, on all of that. But uh, thank you so much, and good luck uh, with, for, the, uh, uh, for the Rapids this season. It's exciting. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, that's awesome that you have season tickets. I'm extremely jealous. There's, I suppose I could try to get some for D.C., but uh, D.C. United was so bad last year, I almost don't want to. <laughs> Dude, and w- I mean, wait until they're in the new stadium, too. Like, right. Yeah, there you go. Don't, don't go to RFK. RFK is not fun. Terrible. Well, it was in the first half of their season all away games anyway while the stadium's being built. Oh, I think there is something stupid like that, yeah. Oh, that is dumb. Yeah. All right, well, Jess, thank you so much. It's awesome to talk to you. And Evan, we'll talk next week. Catch you later. When the moon hits your eye Like a bigger pizza pie That's amore When the world seems to shine Like you've had too much wine That's amore Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a guitar and When the stars make you drool, just like a pastefazool, that's amore. When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's amore.